Well, good morning, and um, it's good to be back with you. My name's Tim, and uh, we're starting a new series today called Mastermind. What I want to do in the next several weeks is to look at the mind of Christ. I found a passage I thought was interesting. It really ch- is challenging. It says here in Philippians 2.5, In your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. I got to thinking, do I want to think like Christ? I mean, do you want to think like Jesus? I do. And um, I got to thinking, why is that so important? Well, it's the best way to think. And, um, and, and, and really how I think, how you and I think, it determines so many things, especially how I live. I think today there's a popular word we use. Uh, I hear it repeated uh, here, especially the last few weeks, this idea of a worldview. Uh, I've heard some people refer to as a Christian, a, a biblical uh, worldview. Well, what's a worldview? Well, a worldview is, 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 is your idea of how everything works. It's, uh, it's how you think everything works and, and how you understand everything to work. Everybody has a worldview. They might have, most people don't know how to define it, but we all have a, a certain set of, of ideas and principles and understandings that we bring to our life. And they govern things like our emotions, like how we feel, what we say, what we do, even the choices, like the choices, like the values I'll choose or uh, the perspective I'll have, even my judgments affected by my worldview, this idea of how everything works, whether things are right or wrong, uh, good or bad, uh, better, you know, my plans, all my plans I form, the priorities I have. Uh, wow, it's just like uh, this, this, it all comes down to how I think. Uh, this combination of, of thinking that determines how I understand the way everything works in life. It even, listen, my worldview, your worldview, even determines how you follow Jesus. And so becoming like Christ has a lot to do with thinking like Christ. See, Jesus had a worldview, and it was radically different than the rest of the world. Everything he felt, everything he, he said, everything he did was based on this mental, spiritual grid, almost like a filter that everything that he would see and do went through this filter that uh, was just so different and made him see things, um, to look at things out of the box, so to speak, that the world had established. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, the message paraphrase says this. This is God speaking through Isaiah, and he says, I don't think the way you think, and the way I work isn't the way, or the way you work isn't the way I work. And so when Jesus came to this earth, when, as God in the flesh, he had a totally different way of thinking. And so he, he would challenge the thinking of the world around him. He would challenge the religious, those that claimed to follow God. He, he, would, he would challenge them, saying things like, uh, you've heard it said, but I say to you. you know, you've heard it said about this, about adultery, but let me, i tell you what, here's how I think, what I think about it. You may think this when it comes to an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you something else. So he challenged it. And, and I, I've realized, and maybe you noticed this too, 
that the world still is influencing believers on the earth, followers of Christ. I'm reading a book called Think Like Jesus by George Barnum, and he is a, crit- a Christian statistician. And, and in one of the chapters, it's entitled The American State of Mind. And in that, he goes through a, just a long list of all these statistics from a study of people who claim to be serious Christians in America. And what he found out was, what he discovered was, that today a lot of Christians are no longer the salt or the light that Jesus has called them to be. A lot of Christians today seem to be more confused about what is right, what is wrong, what's acceptable and what is not. Uh, instead of standing out, Christians seem to be blending in into the, into the, into the world, world's landscape. Their values, he says, their priorities, even their goals, and their character is basically the same as the rest of the world. And so he concluded from this study, he concluded that 9 out of 10, he believes this is the reason, 9 out of 10 people, serious Christians, he's talking about serious Christians now, 9 out of 10 do not think like Jesus. In fact, they think more like the world. You know, the Bible warns us, and Paul warned the, the, the followers and disciples of the early church of this problem, how the world is going to try to influence us and influence a believer. And he says this in Colossians 2, verse 8. This is in the Today's Passion Translation. It says, Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments and human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one. Wow. He could have wrote that today. You know, the world is, is, there's a lot of information out there now, especially with the internet. And it, and, and some of these presentations are so slick and so, they, they appear so competent. I've been watching the Flat Earthers uh, broadcasts on uh, Facebook and uh, getting a kick out of what, what they're trying to prove. And there's a lot, and it looks so scientific, and so so uh, competent in their presentation. And I and I can find that a lot of times I'll I'll listen or watch a podcast, and I will be influenced by that. It begins to affect my faith and how I approach my biblical worldview is affected by that, rather than the narrative of Jesus. Here in Romans 12, Paul says this to the Roman church, do not be shaped by this world. There's just that warning again. It says, instead, be changed within by a new way of thinking. So it's not of this world, he's saying. Don't let the world press you and shape you, pressure you, intimidate you into accepting something. No, let God change the way you think. Because then what will happen? Then you'll be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to Him and what is perfect. You see, thinking like Jesus broadens and clarifies your understanding of life. It it, it helps in, in so many ways. And man, the choices you can make are much better because of that. I was looking at the passage, another passage uh, to a church that Paul wrote 
that was to the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 2, he kind of lays out some things I thought was interesting. He starts talking about the wisdom of God in contrast to the world's wisdom. And he talks about how really uh, the world doesn't understand what God is trying to say. They're not on the same, they don't think alike, in other words. Because if, they, if the world would have known and understood what God was trying to do, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus to begin with. And then he goes on to say that a person from the world cannot understand the things of God properly. And then, and then as, he, as he's talking to the church at Corinth, he's challenging them to look at how they think about what God has to say and what God's doing and his strategy. He's really, he's really challenging their biblical worldview of how things work in his kingdom. And in, by, by the time he gets to verse 16, he says these words, who can know what the Lord is thinking? He's quoting a passage, a little passage from Isaiah. He goes, who can know what the Lord is thinking? That's a big question, huh? Yeah. He says, but we can understand these things, all the things, how God works. We can understand his wisdom. We can understand his standards. He says, why? For we have the mind of Christ. He says, in other words, he's saying, I can understand what God's about. I can understand what he wants. And I can understand what he's doing when I start thinking and I have the mind of Christ. And I want you to know this morning that God wants you to have the mind of Jesus. He wants you to know how to think like him because then it opens up your understanding of who he's about, what he's trying to do. Now, what is the what does thinking like Jesus look like? I mean, we're talking about having the mind of Christ. Paul had the mind of Christ, so he's thinking like Jesus. What's that really look like? Well, I think we can figure out what Jesus is thinking by what he's saying. You know, I know that's not true for everybody. Have you ever had somebody who said something, but you're, well, maybe you've thought, you've thought something, one thing, but you've said another? Well, Jesus wasn't like that. You know, out of the overflow of the heart, he said, the mouth speaks. And he would remind everybody that would listen to him, I tell you the truth. He'd say that over and over again. He's saying, look, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. And from that, we can learn what was on the mind of Christ. How do you think like Jesus? Let's look at them. We got several here. Let's look at the, let's look at them together. When I think like Jesus, first of all, I understand who I am and why I'm here. If I think like Christ, because Jesus knew who he was and he knew why he was on earth. And when I think like Jesus, the same thing can happen. You know, Jesus didn't rely on, uh, to, to identify himself. He didn't rely on his race, his heritage, what his mother and father thought of him, what his critics or his enemies said. No, there was only one source for his identity, and that was what his father thought. And so Jesus refers to himself over and over again, all over the scriptures and the gospels, he'll call himself like the bread of life or the light of the world, or he says, I'm the good shepherd, or I'm the door, or I'm the way. And, and he knew who he was. I want you to know God wants you to know exactly who you are too and why you're here. And see, Jesus knew who he was, and he knew why he was here, and he learned it early in life. Here's a passage in Luke 2. Remember, Mary and Joseph had lost track of Jesus, and so they're looking all over town for him, and when they find him, he's in the temple. And notice what Jesus says here. He says to them, because they're saying, what are you doing? What are you, what's going on here? 
They had forgotten who he was. I mean, I know Joseph and Mary were told who Jesus was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the Son of God. But somehow they had forgotten. Jesus had not forgot that. And he says, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? He goes, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm God's son. And I know why I'm here. See, he knew and he understood. Jesus knew who he was and he understood his purpose. And when I start thinking like Jesus and I start letting God define who I am, I'm going to discover who I really am. I'm made in his image and I have a purpose here while living on earth. Look what Jesus says this here in John 10, 10. He says, my purpose is to give life to all its fullness. I want you to notice, look at that. What He says, what's his purpose? To give life, to give See, Jesus saw himself as a, a contributor, not a consumer. Well, I tell you what, today, it seems like the world's eyes are trained on self. Am I right about that? I think so. We think about our needs, my needs. Well, my needs aren't being met, so I'm out of this marriage. Well, I just don't feel like I'm getting what I need, so I'm out of this church. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm, I, I'm getting my... My, my needs are unmet, so I'm out of this job. And I have to admit, there are some needs. There are basic needs like air and food and shelter. The confusing part is when we begin to mix our desires and wants and begin to qualify them and, and identify them as needs when they're really just desires. And the, the, here's the problem. If we're not careful, we can make our needs they can become entitlements. See, Jesus didn't think that way. He really wasn't preoccupied with his needs being fulfilled, his needs being met. Here in John 10, verse 45, look what he says. I came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. You see, when I think like Jesus... I realize I'm not here for me. No, I'm here to give. Boy, this is a different way. See, the world doesn't think like this, do we? We're thinking about ourselves. The world generally thinks about themselves. No, he says, no, I, I didn't come here for me. I came here for others. And I came primarily to give and to serve, to give my life for other people. You know, 1 John 3.16 says it this way, and it connects believers to the same purpose of Jesus and the same identity here. Look at this. This is how we know what love is. Christ gave his life for us. We too then ought to give our lives for others. I just want you to know this morning that do you have needs? You know, does Jesus satisfy our greatest needs? Absolutely. Our greatest need was to be right with God. And he sacrificed himself to fulfill that need. But why did he do that? Did he do that so that you and I could just go, okay, thanks, we're good now? No, he satisfies our deepest, greatest needs so we can help other people, so we can help meet the needs of others. So that's the first thing. When I start thinking about and think like Jesus, when I start thinking like Christ, I'm going to realize who I am and why I'm here. Here's another one. Here's another thing I understand. Paul said, we understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. Well, let me tell you another thing you can understand. And that is, I understand God is always with me. Now, Jesus never seemed to be ever panic. He never seemed to sweat the small stuff, so to speak. He seemed to be always even keeled. 
storms of life. He's sleeping through them. You know, he's, well, is he lazy? No, he's, he's calm. He's confident. Why? He knows. He's always thinking of the presence of God, of his father in his life. You ever felt lonely? You know, Jesus was alone, but he didn't feel lonely. And if he ever felt, if he ever was alone, and the reason he didn't, you don't see him hanging his head and talking about loneliness and being, being preoccupied with being lonely, it's because he was, he was aware of God's presence and he was constantly connecting with God. Constantly in connection with God. Now one time Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples and he's telling them, here's what's going to happen, here's what's coming. And he says, you guys are going to desert me, you're going you're to leave me. And he said, then he says these words in John 16, I am alone. I'm not alone. After he says that, you're all going to leave me, but I'm not alone because the Father is always with me. See, Jesus never felt lonely. It's because he was always connected with God. His thoughts were always about the Lord. And so whenever he was alone, he spent time. In fact, he would go by himself sometimes to go pray. He would pray and keep connecting with his Father. And he knew, he knew that Jesus was with him. And when people abandon you, when people give up on you, it's important that you don't focus your thoughts on those who leave, but you focus on the one who stays. And so when I think like Jesus, I'm constantly aware God is with me and he'll take care of me. There's another thing I understand. I understand what to say. When I think like Jesus, I begin to understand what to say. He ever spoke, said something, and later thought, what was I thinking? Or maybe your spouse reminds you, what were you thinking? I've said so many stupid stuff. I mean, my, oh, the foot in the mouth is, is a constant problem. Well, Jesus always knew the right words to say. And I noticed something about him. He also knew how to say those words. Like he knew the right time and, and the right way. And why is that? Well, he depended on his father to help him with that. Here in John 12, look at the Bible says, I have not spoken on my own. Instead, the Father who sent me tells me what to say, what I should say, and how I should save it, or how I should say it. If you're having trouble with your words, what's the answer? Have the mind of Christ. Have the mind. Start thinking like Jesus. When I start thinking about what about Jesus, I'll start thinking about His words, and I'll find myself saying the right words in the right way. Here's a fourth thing I understand with the mind of Christ. And as I understand who to please, you a people pleaser? I mean, if you're just honest, and I tell you, a lot of my life has been about pleasing people. I want to please my mom. I want to please my dad. I want to please my friends. I want to please a leader. I want to, I want to please my kids. I want to please a teacher. Um, I heard a question as I was preparing today and the question went like this whose approval are you depending on for your happiness Ooh, what a tough question huh you know in our especially right now in our cancel culture you can say something you can do something and bam you're out man in a heartbeat and the thing is the truth is you and i are going to disappoint someone we just it's going to happen you can't please everyone uh, someone is not going to approve of you and they're not going to like you. So what's the solution? I decide 
I'm going to do what God likes. If I really, I've, I've got to choose. What Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. That's true. You've got to choose. You can't please everybody. Even Jesus didn't please everybody. And if he couldn't, I know I can't. You know, we can't. So what does, what does Jesus do? Well, here's what he says. He says in John 5, I only try to please the one who sent me. He says, man, I know I can't please everybody. And by the way, you read about Jesus, and there's a lot of people that aren't happy with him, right? Yeah. But how's he able to get through that? How's he able to be, not be caught up in that? Because I know as a people pleaser, uh, I've had so many people dominate me. You know what I'm talking about? They control you. And, and for that approval, you'll just do anything. You don't want to disappoint somebody. And the answer is not being a jerk and saying, well, I don't care what anybody thinks, and I'm going to do whatever I want and be a jerk about it. No, Jesus was not a jerk about it at all. He was Jesus. So how was he able to do that? Well, I, I, what I notice is, is that if you think like him, you're going to have the same understanding and the same kind of worldview when it comes to pleasing people. Because you're going to see yourself secure in who you are. You'll discover you're secure in why you're here. You're going to be aware that God is with you. And so you're no longer going to be dominated by the approval of others because you don't need them to be happy. Jesus heard these words from heaven. It says, A voice came from heaven and said, You are my son, the one I love. I am very pleased with you. Wouldn't you like to hear that? If I wanted to hear somebody, you know, I, I want you to know when my wife says, Oh, you're making me happy, or my mother says that, or a friend of mine was to say that, it means something. But to hear Jesus say it, oh, that's what I'm after. You know how you get that? How you experience that? You make it your life. It's about pleasing just Him. It would just simplify so many things, wouldn't it? If we just focused on pleasing Jesus. And when you start thinking like Him, you're going to go, your, your desire is going to be like, I'm going, I want to please God too. Uh, here's the fifth thing I can understand, and that's how to treat those who harm me. We get hurt. People hurt us. Jesus had enemies. He had critics. He had people that harmed him. And he lived in a very brutal world. In fact, remember, he would remind the religious people of his day, he'd say, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And both times he'd say, but I tell you, he'd tell them something totally different. So counterculture, so opposite that it shocked people. You want me to do what? It's, and it still shocks us today. You know, Jesus is suffering on the cross. This is the, this is the thing I notice about him. And as he's on the cross, different thoughts are going through his mind. You know, he's, he's calling out to his, to his father. He talks with his mother. And one of the things he says from the cross, this, this crosses his mind on the cross, and it says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. When you think like Jesus, you begin to understand how you should treat your critics and your enemies, those that harm you. And he doesn't stop there. Look, look here in Matthew 5, he says it this way. He gives you a little more specific, gets a little more specific. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, here's what's on my mind. He says, love your enemies, 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I'm thinking of people that have hurt me. Are you? I think of people that have disappointed me. I think of people that, that um, you know, no, are no longer close. And Jesus says, here's what Jesus thinks. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when you see them, don't avoid them. Don't shun them. No, you love them. Bless them. And if they, if they curse you, bless them. Uh, do good to them that are against you. Pray for them. You've been praying for those people? That's challenging me right here. Because when I start thinking like Jesus, I don't think like me anymore. And it's a refreshing, different way of looking at life. Here's the sixth thing I understand. I'm alive to do God's will and not mine. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, look what Jesus says. Look, what, look how he says it. And if you'll notice, everything we've looked at are in red letters. These are all what Jesus says. And he says here, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You talk about that as totally opposite. Because what's the world think? Yeah. Does the world think like that? No. What do they think? They think what's in it for me. They think about, i got to take care of me and my own. They think about, I want to do what I want. When I want. As often as I want. But Jesus Christ does not think this way. And, and in fact, um, and if I if what crosses his mind instead of his will is the idea of surrender. Here in Luke twenty two, look how Jesus says it. He says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of horror from me. But I want your will, not mine. You know, what's on the mind of Jesus is, I want to do what you say, not my own will. This is a very, this is a very challenging thought when you think about it. But that's what it means to think like Jesus. It's not about my will, but the will of God. See, there's going to be times when you're going to feel, you're going to feel like, man, this is too hard. And maybe you feel that way this morning. You're running into something. This is too hard. This is too painful. And all you want, like Jesus, is there a way you can take this away? Is there, I can get some kind of sense of relief here? And when you feel like that, if you're feeling that way, it's important you think like Jesus and pray like Jesus here. And say, you know, Lord, this is hard. I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I go through stuff. We all go through stuff. And you go, man, what is going on? And when's this going to end? And is there, is there any way to, Lord, is there any way you do something else? I need your help here. Is there any way you could change this? But I want you to know, whatever you want to do, I'm in. I'm not about my will. I'm about your will. And when you think like Jesus, that's how you see the will of God. Here's number seven, and that is I understand what lies ahead. When I think like Jesus, I start, I'm able to think about the things that lie ahead. I think about eternal things. I don't know what it is. You can put two people in a difficult situation and get two different results. Why is that? 
Why does one quit and one persevere? Well, it may have to do with what they're thinking about as they're going through it. Because, you know, when you're going through something painful and you know there's a purpose or something's coming later, you can handle it. You can get through it. I I was a kid, went to the dentist often. We had well water, so we had lots of cavities and and we were lazy, we didn't brush our teeth. And I remember going to the the dentist all the time. And the dentist would say, I'm going to have to give you a shot. I hated shots. And he'd say, I'm going to put a shot, you know, I hate them right here, you know, I got to work, I got to put a shot right here. And all I could think of was, if I could just hang on, because it'll soon be over, it'll soon pass. I used to run in cross country, and I remember starting a three-mile race and going, oh, and be in the middle of it. And then I would visualize, yeah, but after it's over, I'm going to be able to go have ice cream and a soda or something or a hamburger. There's something about you know what's ahead that can keep you going. And when you think like Jesus, the pain, the disappointment, the hurts that we experience, why they are what's ahead is so much better what he what he offers look what the bible says here in hebrews 12 it says he that is jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards i think isaiah 53 says he'll see the light of life what's jesus looking at he's looking at the reward he's looking at the eternity he knows that this is only temporary and he can get through this That's how he thinks. And because of that, he would endure a shameful death on the cross because of some joy. What was that joy? Knowing that you and I could have a relationship with him. Knowing that it would be worth it. And when he he got through the cross, where's he at? He's sitting, it says, in the place of honor by the throne of God. I want you to think about when you think like Jesus, you think beyond the painful moment. You think beyond the suffering. You think ahead. And I want to ask you today, what what are you going through? What's the difficulty you're going through? I want you to know thinking like Jesus will help you get through it. Now we're going to be spending several weeks looking at this, trying to trying to break this down. Like what's it how do you think like Christ? You know, I was reading I'm reading a couple of books. One of them's by Barna called Think Like Jesus. And um, he kind of breaks down a little bit about the things that Jesus had around him that helped him think, to help him think with a biblical worldview. And so we're going to try to look at some of this stuff. And I, I want to ask you, maybe you could do during this series a couple of things. Maybe uh, would you consider reading the Gospels and, pay, and maybe getting a red letter edition or that book, Jesus in Red, and just looking at the statements and the thoughts of Jesus. A Jesus in Red book I'm finding fascinating because he takes one statement and you read it and then he and then he gives a l- real quick little paragraph to help you think about what is Jesus, what's on the mind of Christ. I also want to encourage you to ask God. Just ask God. You know, give me your mind, Father. Help me think like, like your son does. Help me understand what you're all about. Change the way I think change the way I think. Maybe that's what you can do, okay? So let's pray together and we'll be through, all right? Father, we thank you for
your word. We always, I always do, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for his mindset, having this mindset that governed everything he said, everything he did, even everything he felt. And Father, that, that he had this kind of a default switch that he'd go back to this, this that he would think about you were with him. He would think about his mission. He'd think about who he was. He'd think about how he treated people. And Father, he would, his, that your love, his love, just seemed to permeate his thoughts. We pray, Father, that um, you'll give us the mind of Jesus. Change the way we think, Father. I know you want that. The world has, got, has had a big impact on us. The world, you know, right now especially, you know, uh, it just seems like it's hard to know where many, many people are confused about what is right and wrong right now. So many things up in the air. So, Father, we pray for your mind that, that will incorporate your thoughts and let them, let them determine our values, our choices, our plans, our priorities. Father, help, help, help us have the mind that helps us understand your mind so we can understand how much you love us and how badly you want to use us. Father, I know somebody's going through a tough time right now, and I pray, Father, that you'll help them see ahead with a, with a spiritual eye, look ahead at the rewards they're waiting if they'll just persevere. Help us as we struggle, whatever we're struggling with. Give us confidence. Help us believe you, believe your words over our doubts, over our fears. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.